Robert Stewart, Claire Lord, Travis Young, Brogan Wickerick, Sarah Boggs, Hayden Palmer, Sue Jordan, Peyton Bradford, Blake Stallings, Scott Mock, Kendall Gibson, John Malley, Maya Floyd, Erica Stone, Jacqueline Silver, Michael Mello, and Elizabeth Blair. Murder? put pen to paper on this the 17th of April 1948 I find myself so tired and weary I'm merely jotting down my thoughts in order to recall the events that led up to the most surprising conclusion of any of my cases and this one well it also happened to be my last my name is Sheldon Fig. I realize since it's been 20 years since that last case, I, I have to offer more of a, a thorough introduction to my name. I am Mr. Sheldon H. Fig, Esquire. I was once the most celebrated detective at Scotland Yard. Why, in my youth, I actually discovered the identity of Jack the Ripper. Though I was, of course, sworn to secrecy in that instance. I was quite literally everywhere. On one notable occasion, I even helped solve a sticky situation at Buckingham Palace. All of that is so long ago now. A lifetime away. <laughs> it's the most confounded thing, but my memories from then still seem clearer to me than what I had for breakfast. <laughs> But my most interesting case, and the one that has, I can safely say, truly defined me as a person, was the case at Boughton Manor. It involved a close-knit group of party attendees. And it involved murder. It was March 1928. At the invitation of an old friend, I found myself on a train heading out of London and riding into the countryside. Blast! Uh, I'm sorry, you seem to be in some distress. Is there something I can help you with? Oh, it's nothing, really. Just all out of my favourite tobacco. You don't have a cigarette or anything on you by chance. I do have some loose-leaf pipe tobacco, if that could be of use to you. Ripping! Let's have a look. Mint eucalyptus? How could you smoke that rubbish? <laughs> well, in my line of work, one has to encourage people to trust and confide in one. I find that to reek of stale old pipe tobacco isn't helpful in this endeavour. But I do find that this does the trick. <laughs> I'll take your word for it, old boy, but I'll forgo the secrets in favour of a more usual tobacco. <laughs> What is it you do? It seems to me I've seen your face somewhere before. 
Here is my card. I am somewhat well-known in certain circles. Mr. Sheldon H. Fig Esquire, celebrated detective. That's it. I knew I recognized you. You're friends with Lady Wolverston. I think we may even be headed to the same place. Are you going to Boughton Manor? My name is Cowart, by the way. Samuel Cowart. Pleasure to make your acquaintance, Mr. Cowart. Oh, please. Just Samuel. Well, Samuel, indeed, dear Lady Wolverston is an old friend of mine. We knew each other before the Great War. Oh, she is quite a, a strong personality. Always leaves a certain impression. That's an understatement. She's a dragon. Bella lives with her constant disapproval and her scrutiny, I fear. Ah, yes. She was always the femme formidable, as they say on the continent. I am assuming that Bella is her niece? Yes, that's right. Her full name is Annabella. Well, Lady Annabella, I suppose, is more strictly accurate. Ah, I see. And it is Miss Annabella's birthday that we are attending. Her 21st? You've got it. And do you know Annabella? She's a frightfully good sport. We've been the best of friends since we were in nappies, practically. Why, her family even stumped up the money that let me attend Oxford. Really decent of them. Oh, that, that, that is very generous. You must be close friends indeed. Yes, mm. always have been. Nothing more, though not for lack of trying on my end, I must confess. For though I'm intelligent and have my fancy first degree from Oxford, I'll never quite be good enough for a Bowton. Samuel, darling! How on earth have you been, old bean? Ticking along, Tawny. Thank you. Who's this you're dragging in your wake? Oh, how thoughtless of me. Darling, do forgive me. Introduce yourself. How do you do? I'm Anderson Watson. I'm currently employed at the... And he's my fiancé! And we're engaged! Isn't it fantastic? Oh, hello. Do we know one another? I am Sheldon Fig. Perhaps you've heard of me? No, I don't think I have. Should I? I've heard of you, Mr. Fig. I'm quite a follower of all the big criminal cases. I've read all the papers. Oh, goodness. Are you a master criminal? How thrilling! <laughs> no, Tawny, I doubt he would give you his actual name if that was the case. Mr. Fig is one of the most intelligent and admired detectives in the world. Scotland Yard has relied on him for years. And what is it you do, Mr. Watts? I'm a chemist. I'm currently working in consultation with St. Mary's Hospital. Due to the discovery this year of DNA, I have been very busy and... Oh, Anderson, you're so precious. You really are. I'm sure Mr. Prig doesn't want to hear all about your boring job. Fig. It had always been a matter of professional pride to me that I am a keen observer of not just my physical surroundings, but the humans that occupy them. I turned that acumen on the young people who were sharing my railway carriage with me that day... Samuel Cowart was a tall, dark-haired young man with expressive blue eyes that twinkled with humour. A charmer who, I had a feeling, used this trait to his full advantage. As for the young couple, 
Tawny Belmont was a stunning girl with a presence that filled the room like a whirling tornado. She wasn't classically beautiful, as her features were a little too pronounced, but her jutting jaw, wide smile, and large flashing eyes were unmistakably attractive. It crossed my mind that she was the type of girl who was selfish. Oh, not, not in a mean-spirited way, just in the fact that her own energy overpowered everything that surrounded her. A very modern young woman, with her bobbed hair and sleeveless dress and flat shoes. But I liked her. She seemed to be very much under the spell of her milk-toast fiancé. Watts was her exact opposite. His entire presence was one of grey, shifting energy unsubstantial. He wasn't a bad-looking young man, tall but a bit stooped, with sort of dishwater brown hair. His whole demeanour was one of a man who had been put through the wash one too many times. He was the kind of person who tried to exert his own personality over a situation but would inevitably be the name one couldn't quite remember, or the person left off the invitation to events purely through oversight. I also thought that this young man wanted very badly to make an impression and hated being overshadowed. Hated it a great deal, in fact. When his dazzling fiancé had cut off his explanation to me, I saw a dark cloud of resentment pass over his nondescript face. I could tell he considered himself a great intellect, but others didn't seem to notice. I had a distinct pang of anxiety when I thought of their life together. Tawny's voice snapped me out of my thoughts. So, Mr. Prig, are you heading to Bowton Manor for Annabella's shindig, too? Um, it's Fig, actually. Mr. Fig is old friends with Lady Wolverstone. Oh, my word. Do <laughs> you know, I've never imagined her having actual friends. <laughs> oh, did the old Battleaxe hire you to come and play detective? Are you to make sure our dear Annabella doesn't decide to run away now she's coming of age? Oh, and especially not with our dear, unsuitable Samuel. The family would truly hate that. <laughs> oh, I am well aware how unlikely it is that the family would ever stoop so low. Tony, you really must find your inner monologue sometimes. Why on earth would a man as esteemed as Mr. Fig accept such a domestic and distasteful assignment? You have to think before you speak, and think more deeply. Consider other people. I'm sorry. You're right, Anderson. I'm sorry. To you as well, Samuel, I... I shouldn't be so thoughtless. You'll just have to count in your head, like we've worked on. Well, well. Are you trying to turn into a veritable Sigmund Freud, old bean? That seems like a lot of psychobabble to me. Mr. Fig is, in fact, heading to the manor with us. Are you sworn to secrecy, or can you tell us if you're invited in an official capacity? The truth was that Lady Wolverston and I had been friends for years. She was of that certain decaying class in our country, a class that had become victims of the new taxation. She was living with her niece, as she didn't actually have a home of her own, being merely the third sister in the Boughton family, so not inheriting. She had married another minor peer, which came with a 
a title, but again, no property. Her husband had passed away within the past two years, and though she had hoped to inherit at least a little money, had left her with nothing, as he had not just a gambling affliction, but an expensive and well-kept mistress in London. <laughs> Poor Agatha, or Aggie, as I had known her affectionately in our youth, seemed quite content. But I couldn't help but wonder if she had always had such ambition. Regardless, I had always held her in great esteem and had leapt at the chance to visit. It was particularly welcome, as I must confess that my recent retirement from Scotland Yard had proved an unwanted sedative to both my brain and my social life. The invitation had arrived by post and was written in an elegantly sloping hand. It was quite simple and to the point. My dearest Sheldon, my niece will be celebrating her ascension to womanhood with her 21st birthday party on the 24th of March. It should be a close-knit group of friends and family. I would very much love for you to attend as my guest. I thought your occupation and expertise could provide a much-needed injection of intellect and interest. You would be welcome to stay at the manor, and we would welcome you for the entire weekend. Oh, I do hope you can attend. Please do let me know, so that I may take care of your travel particulars. Affectionately yours, Aggie. I had immediately written and said I'd be delighted. A weekend in the country, reunited with an old friend, sounded like just the distraction I'd been craving. Oh, absolutely no secret. Maggie invited me as her guest. She thought I may be able to add some interesting stories to the conversation. Oh, that's always needed. What with Ronald and his awful wife and those monstrously bratty children and his secretary, whom Susan always wants to murder. She's quite a looker, you see, Mr. Prigg, and old Ronald is just this miserly old man who could... <clears throat> Darling? Sorry, my love. Well, I think Tawny is certainly right. They're all wretched, and Bella can't stand them. For myself, I am least looking forward to seeing Lord Ashley Carrington. What a stuffed-up codfish he is. Yes, there will be quite a collection for you to meet, Mr. Fig. Aha! Seems we've arrived. The train station of Bowton was a typical small country stop. The town, which actually was more of a hamlet, had one winding high street that led through the stone cottages that had stood firmly since the early 1600s. In the distance, on a gently sloping hill, was a square stone mansion with shuttered windows. I knew this was my destination. The manor house. A grey place. Yes, a grey place indeed. Secretive and grey. Upon arriving at the station, we were met by a driver in pre-war black Rolls-Royce motor vehicle. I was given access to the front seat and my younger companions crammed into the back. Our driver did not speak other than to open doors and greet us by name. The two-plus-mile ride to the manor was not as pleasant as it could have been, 
due to most of the road being unpaved and the car having a questionable suspension. But just as my insides felt as though they were being scrambled and shaken into an omelette, the car eased to a juddering halt. The house, which appeared even more colourless up close than it had from afar, had shuttered windows and a general appearance of being closed away, dormant. Yes, this was a house asleep to much of the world. Waiting to greet us was a young woman, attractive with dark hair and eyes, but but a mouth drawn into a thin line that made her look like she was in constant disapproval of her surroundings. Samuel sprang forward and grabbed her around the waist, which only caused the thin line of her mouth to compress into invisibility, though her eyes did twinkle a little. Elena, my darling, it's been far too long. Yes, it has been quite some time, Mr. Coward. I trust that Oxford has treated you well. First-class honors degree in classics, as a matter of fact. That's wonderful. I knew you could do it. Oh, do be careful, old Bean. Can't let people know you actually have feelings. You're quite right, Mr. Coward. I won't allow it to happen again. If you'll go inside, Trescott has your usual room made up for you. Oh, Miss Tawny. And I assume this is your fiancé, Mr. Watts. Yes, yes, that's correct. Uh, how do you do? Lovely to meet you. And congratulations on your forthcoming nuptials. I am Elena Drake, head of House Matters here at the Manor. You may call me Miss Drake. Trescott has prepared the East Wing for your rooms, Mr. Watts and Miss Belmont. I trust you'll find them suitable. I noted that her eyes grew cold as she looked at Tawny. No love lost there, obviously. It reinforced my initial impression that the lovely Miss Belmont left much animosity in her wake, most of which I had a feeling she was quite unaware. I presume that you are our honoured guest, Mr. Sheldon Fay. That is correct, Miss Drake. It is an honour to have you here with us at Boughton Manor, sir. I try not to spend too much time reading about the more hmm, sordid current events, but your name is well known to me. Trescott here will show you personally to your rooms. Trescott, the butler, appeared silently. He was a short man with a deeply furrowed brow. He gave me a vague impression of being a threat. I realised it was illogical, but in one of those newfangled moving pictures, he would have easily been cast as an enforcer for the underworld. Mr Fig, if you'd like to follow me, sir, right this way. Cocktails will begin promptly at half past six, Mr Fig. We will ring the bell. In the interim, our maid, Ellie, will also be up to check if you need anything. You're too kind. Right this way, please, sir. As I followed Trescott, who appeared to be not much more certain than I where we were headed, I took in my surroundings. It was a typical English manor house. Thick stone walls and parquet wood floor that was well polished. Portraits of Boughton's long deceased adorned the walls around me. But again, I couldn't shake the feeling that the house was dormant. No, perhaps the better word was expectant. 
Trescott, is it? That's right, sir. Yes. Have you been with the Boughton family long? Matter of fact, sir, I haven't. Just accepted a placement here ten days ago. Ah, I see. And how are you enjoying it thus far? It has been most satisfactory, sir. And, um... Where were you employed previously? Oh, here and there, sir. Here and there. Um, Do you have an interest in architecture, sir? (laughs) Only at the most base level, I am afraid. (laughs) Uh, Now that is a pity, sir. This here village has some wonderful architectural structures. The church here was, in fact, built pre-Norman conquest. It's one of the only ones from that era still standing. The belfry was added in 1547, but that's the newest portion of the whole building. (laughs) Intriguing. And in what year was this manor house built? Ah, well, the house itself was built in the early 1600s, during the reign of Charles I. What's really interesting, though, is that it is constructed on what used to be an ancient druid circle dating back... Uh, But yes, yes, the house is from the 1600s. Ah, here are your quarters, sir. I'll send Ellie right up, and she can run you a bath if you'd like to freshen up before dinner. I watched as Trescott disappeared back into the grey hall. The sense of threat was still palpable and unshakable. It was belied by his oddly monotone voice and knowledge of strange subjects like druid circles. What utter nonsense it seemed. But why had he stopped himself so suddenly? I took out my small brown notepad and wrote two notes. Check Trescott's references. Druid circle? Significant or rubbish? I looked around at my rooms. They were comfortable in a stuffy upper-class English way. The entire room had a naturalist feel to it. Everything was shades of green. The centerpiece was a sage-green settee with a back that was as rigid and straight as a poker. There was a beautiful bay window at the back of the room. I crossed to look at the view. In the distance were rolling hills and several pastures with sheep grazing. Closer in was a field with a, a couple of hunting horses, both of a rich chestnut brown colour. Between me and such bucolic delights, however, lay the back entrance to the house, where an odd scene was taking place. I saw two women, one the very capable housekeeper, Miss Elena Drake, and the other a petite woman with fair hair that was pulled back in a neat bun at the nape of her neck. She couldn't have been more than 25 years old at most. Miss Drake was holding a piece of paper and shaking it at the shorter woman. The windows in in these old homes are thick, so I couldn't catch most of what they were saying. I shoved the window open just a touch on the bottom and heard... How dare you bring this filth to me? How dare you? But I did not bring anything to you. You have stolen my personal property from my personal chambers. You are a deceitful woman and I demand you give it back. While you are in this house, you are under my rules. You will not get this back. I watched as Elena Drake deftly avoided the reaching grasps of the other woman, using the latter's height deficit to her advantage. She raised the paper above her head and ripped it in two. 
the other woman recoiled. Elena Drake smiled, and then ripped it again. There, Simone. That is what happens when you break the rules here at Broughton Manor. Keep this sort of thing out of my house and out of my sight. I watched Miss Drake sweep away without a backward glance. The girl, Simone, crumpled like a puppet with cut strings. She groaned like one that has lost their very soul. She picked up the pieces of paper. I closed the window. As I pulled it towards me, I caught a last glimpse of that stricken face, looking at where Miss Drake had headed. Simone's mouth moved in a distraught pattern that I could clearly read, even from my removed vantage point. I hate you. I was about to note down some more observations when just at that moment there was a knock at the door. A young girl with fair hair and a pointed face entered. Sorry to interrupt you, sir. Hope I'm not interfering or nothing. Miss Drake just wanted me to check to see if you wanted me to run you a nice hot bath or anything like that for you. Ah, you must be... Uh... Ellie, sir. Ellie Hackett. Not that you need to worry about me last name or anything. Very nice to meet you, Miss Hackett. <laughs> Lady Wolverston told me I'd find you a right proper gentleman, she did. Would you like me to run your hot bath, sir? Well, that would be delightful, thank you. Have you been with the family long? Oh, yes, sir. Since I was a girl, sir. Well, not with the Boutons exactly, but I've been with Lady Wolverston most of my life. And me mum was with her before she took sick with the scarlet fever and died, Lord Rester. And how old are you now, Miss Hackett, if you don't mind me being so bold as to inquire? Why, I'll be 18 this September, sir. <laughs> Getting on a bit now, then. <laughs> well, it's as old as I've ever been, and that's for certain, sir. Did you know Lord Wolverston at all? Oh, yes, sir. Lovely gentleman he was and all, sir. It was so sad when he passed the way he did. It was so nasty. All them rumours about her that happened after. Rumours? About whom? Oh, I, I didn't mean nothing by it, sir. I shouldn't have opened my big mouth. Errol, that's my young man, sir. He always says I talk too much nonsense, and I do, sir. I really do. Oh, but, but not at all, my dear. After all, it is I who asked you about the rumours. Well, yes, sir. I suppose you did, sir. And if I ask about them specifically as rumour, then it doesn't matter whether they're true or not, does it? Oh, I suppose that is true, sir. Well, Lady Wolverston, sir, there was them who said that it was her. It was her? Lady Wolverston, begging your pardon, sir, the others, that is the other servants like, they thought she might have done him in. But was he suspected of dying an unnatural death? I, I had never heard of such a thing. Well, no, sir. Not official like, but Cook, that's Lady Wolverston's old cook. She always said it wasn't right. She said that his food didn't look right neither, after he had eaten it, that is. What does that mean? Didn't look right how? I don't know, sir. Nothing was ever said direct to me like. I just sort of heard. I need to run your bath, sir. So good old Aggie may be a merry murderess. How fascinating. <laughs> I performed my evening ablutions absent-mindedly as my brain was ticking over. 
I could feel the old excitement of the hunt creeping back into me. I had a feeling this weekend was going to provide some wonderful opportunities for human analysis. Just as I had finished tying the final knot in my tie and getting it perfectly straight, I do so despise unsightly knots, the bell on my wall signaled that cocktail hour had begun. Simultaneously, there was a discreet knock at my door. Excuse me for the interruption, sir, but their ladyships are eagerly awaiting your company. My pleasure. They are in the receiving room. Trescott glided ahead of me as we made our way back through the winding hallways and down the several flights of stairs towards our goal. Before I could descend the final stair, I was greeted with a familiar and welcome voice. Aggie was still a strikingly beautiful woman, auburn hair piled on top of her head, a rigid and regal bearing, and violet blue eyes that had more life in them than most people could ever hope for. Oh, my darling, Sheldon. What a treat for my eyes you are. I can't believe it's been so long. Aggie, you haven't aged even the slightest. Why, I haven't seen you since before the war, and here you are. Still a mere girl. <laughs> Flattery will get you everywhere, darling. <laughs> oh, I wish it were true. But I stand here before you, a penniless widow, barely out of mourning. I, I was so sorry to hear about the loss of your husband. I know it must be a very difficult... No matter. One must exist, wholeheartedly in the present. Don't you think that's true? Oh, I'm sure Shakespeare said it. Or Milton, or, well someone. Come, dearest Sheldon, and meet my beautiful niece. Annabella, this is the Sheldon Fig of whom you've heard so much. Lady Annabella was a vibrant beauty with chestnut brown hair that shone like fire. She had dancing green eyes and a generous mouth. I liked her immediately. Next to her was a tall man. He reminded me of Ichabod Crane or a, a giant grasshopper, all elbows and jutting angles. Annabella approached me warmly. So much indeed. It's so kind of you to come all the way out here to the back of beyond to entertain us all. I am Lady Annabella Boughton, but please call me Bella. All my friends do. We are so thrilled to have you here. We all thought we'd simply die from boredom left to our own devices. Isn't that right, Ash? Oh, good Lord, yes. We were so very grateful, Mr. Fig. Such a delight to meet you. I'm Lord Ashley Carrington. I believe you helped my father with a matter of some delicacy many years ago. We were eternally grateful. Your father? How thrilling. Mr. Fig, I do hope that if I ply you with sufficient amounts of port, you'll regale us all with the juicy details of that case and, well, all the others. Oh, Bella, you know I can never get you to marry me if you heard all of my dark and deep secrets. <laughs> I'm not sure anyone can get me to marry them, regardless of secrets or not. Particularly as I am hopeful that there'll be some change in this country that will allow me to vote by the end of this year as a 21-year-old woman. Think of it. No waiting until I'm 30. Oh, I do so love this modern era. Oh, Mr. Fig, 
I hope Lady Wolverston warned you that Arbella is quite a little radical. I most assuredly said nothing of the kind. If my niece wants to believe that having a political say at a ridiculously young age is more important than finding a husband and behaving like a proper young lady. It's 1928. I am 21, and though you do not agree, I am so... Not yet. Not yet, you're not. In two days, I will be 21. I have a brain and a heart. Why should I have to wait until I'm 30 to have a voice in this country? And why should I get married? Though there is a decent man just waiting for you to change your mind. Patiently waiting. And a not-so-decent man who'd love the chance to propose. Hello, Bella, old thing. Oh, hello, Samuel, dear. I'm so pleased to see you. I heard you graduated with an honours first. Always knew you were a brain. So well done, old chap. Does this mean you're, that you'll be knocking around here? Seems like it would be deathly dull, young firebrand like you. Indeed. I see no reason why you'd wish to squander your education by laying around in Bowton. Surely a, a young man of your limited resources would have much more opportunity to advance in London. I'll spend some time in London. I have a few prospects there. Bella has offered me the chance to stay here for a while, and I am writing a book. So I'm grateful to get the chance to focus on that for a bit. Ha! A book! Good on you! What's it going to be about, then? It's about an aristocratic family and their secrets. Oh, how lovely! A novel! I'm sure it is going to be just thrilling, Sam. I can't wait for us to get to spend so much time together again. That's definitely the best part to my mind, too. Well, that sounds splendid. I had no idea Bella had extended such a generous and open-ended invitation. Oh, God. Here comes your cousin and his lovely family. Oh, brace yourself. Lord and Lady Ronald Bowerton were not a happy-looking couple. She was a woman who was attractive in a mousy sort of way and dressed to the nines. But the cut of her dress looked distinctly last season. As for Ronald, he looked like a malevolent toad. His eyes were palest blue and protruded from his face. He was entirely lacking any sort of chin to speak of. The children were equally unprepossessing. Both took after their father, and the girl had a heavy fringe that seemed to hide from the world behind. Evening all. Hope we haven't missed out on too much of the fun, eh? <laughs> Children, go and give your great-aunt Agatha kisses. Sammy, old boy, back from Oxford already. Seems like you just left. Carrington, not surprised to see you sniffing around. Happy almost birthday, Bella. You must be ready to get your hands on all that money, eh? <laughs> Hello. Don't think we've met. Lord Ronald Bowton. I am Bella's older and more sophisticated cousin. Well, one of those is certainly true at least. <laughs> what a card that child is. Sorry, did you say your name? I didn't have the chances yet. 
I am Sheldon H. Fig, Esquire. Blast me! The famous detective? What on earth are you doing down here? Has my boy Donald been pinching the servants' wages again? <laughs> Papa! I only did that one time. That they can prove. Stop telling that story. Do forgive my husband, Mr. Fig. We have, of course, heard of you and are so thrilled to have you at our little family gathering. I am Lady Susan Boughton, nay Buckingham. This is my daughter, Anne. Say hello, Anne. Good evening, Mr. Fig. It's a pleasure to meet you. And this is my son, Donald. Say hello and stand up straight, Donald. I didn't take any of the wages anything, I swear. I have learned my lesson from the last time. I won't ever do anything like that. Not ever again. Donald, that's enough. Your father was just having a little joke at your expense. I am sure that Mr. Fig isn't here to trouble about your petty mistakes. Now, act your age and greet him properly. Good evening, Mr. Fig. Thank you, Donald. Now, go and take your sister to the library and entertain each other while the grown-ups talk. Do I have to, Mama? I'm 16. Can't I stay with the adults? Don't you question your mother, boy. You may be 16, but your sister's a child of 12. It is your duty to entertain her. Now, Mitzi will be coming by train tomorrow, and if you ask her nicely, she may be persuaded to take you into the village, but only if you do as you're told today. But I really shouldn't. I can't. I said now. Fine. Ow! Donald, stop! You're hurting me! Just hurry up. Don't be such a stupid baby. Ow! Ronald? You hadn't mentioned that Bitsy was joining us. Oh. I thought I had. Yes, she'll be here by the morning train. Oh. I didn't know. I wish you had told me. I had told you. I wish you'd pay better attention. Now let's not make a scene. Well, <laughs> where were we? <laughs> we were trying to learn what Britain's premier detective is doing at a little Boughton Manor party for her 21st birthday. I can answer that. He is one of my oldest and dearest friends who is here as my guest. And I am hoping that he can regale us later with some of his juicier cases. It will take the pressure off everyone thinking they have to talk as much. If you weren't always lingering around, Bella, you wouldn't have to listen. Now, now, no need to argue. Mr. Fig will think we're barbarians. Oh, hello. Here's Simone. I recognized the petite, fair-haired woman instantly. It was she of the torn papers and hurt feelings. What an odd menagerie of humans these were. Simone, darling, I am so glad you felt up to coming down. I simply must introduce you to our special guest, Mr. Sheldon Fig. This is my right-hand woman and personal saviour, Simone Drotage. It is an honour to meet you, Monsieur Fig. I have, of course, heard your name before. My family home is in Toulouse, and you helped our police their survey this murder back in 1918, I believe. 
Ah, yes, the Marquis de Start murder spree. I was lucky enough to get involved purely because he made a small error. He committed a murder here in England. At once they opened that door for me. I was like a bloodhound on the scent. It's an honour to meet you, Madame Drotage. You as well. Though I am Mademoiselle Drotage, I've never married. Yes, Simone has positively devoted her life to me and this family. She was my governess when I was younger, and then has been my rock ever since my parents were killed three years ago. Forgive me, I, I had no idea. No forgiveness needed at all. How could you have known? They were driving home from Cornwall, and it was a squalling bad night for rain. Papa missed a turn, and the car careened off a cliff. It was a horrible accident. They never even found their bodies. Please, madame, let us not relive. It is hard for poor Bella, n'est-ce pas? It is hard to think about. Oh, let's stop being so dreary. Once Tony and Anderson get here, we should be able to head in for dinner. I'm starved. I heard my name. Mine ears were ringing from a mile away. Tony, thank heavens you're here. What took you so long? Darling, it takes time to look this gorgeous. Mm. And I'm just talking about Anderson now. Hello, Anderson. How have you been? Very well. Work has been busy. Busy, but exciting. You hear that they've discovered DNA. Well, that has made all the difference to our work, really. It's quite exciting. Miss Annabella, come quickly. The children. My host and the entire party dash from the room and down the hall towards the sounds of struggle and a girl's screams. I got stuck behind Lord Ashley and Samuel, both of whom were well over six feet and dwarfed my average stature. I felt the level of panic and tension increase around me as we all crammed into the room. The screams echoed in my head. I maneuvered myself into a, a better vantage point and was stunned by what I saw. Ronald and Susan's two children were on the floor. The quiet girl, Anne, was kneeling on her brother's chest and hitting him over and over again. The teenage boy looked as though he may have hit his head, for he wasn't saying anything clearly and not defending himself at all adequately. As Anne continued her wails of anger, I saw that she had something in her hand. It looked like a round glass ball. I, I hate you. I hate you. You hate me and I hate you. You always make me feel like I'm not, not worth anything. I can't take it anymore. Anne, darling, stop it. Just stop it. You don't want to hurt your brother. As she spoke, Susan kneeled down by her daughter and tried to calm her by stroking her hair. I noticed that Ronald wasn't doing anything to help his offspring or his wife. He just stood with his arms folded, a strange expression of disgust on his face. Sam, do something. She's going to hurt him. Here, Anne. I'll take that. Excuse me, Susan. No, I hate him, and I'm going to kill him. It was then that I noticed the shiny glass ball in her hand was actually an Art Deco paperweight. Anne tried to yank her arm out of Samuel's capable grasp to then drag it down on her still-dazed brother's head. But Samuel was too strong. He pried the heavy ball of glass from her and pulled her up and away from her brother. 
Samuel was a lot faster and, and more athletic than his languid manner belied. Annabelle and Simone both rushed to Donald's side while Susan tried to comfort the crying child. Oh, my love, you get so overwrought. There now, deep breaths, deep breaths. Good girl, keep breathing. In and out, in and out. Wonderful. Ellie? Yes, ma'am. Go and run a warm bath for Miss Anne. And turn down Master Donald's bed for him. Yes, ma'am. And Ellie? Not another word of this incident to anyone. Or your job will be on the line. Are we clear? No need to be so harsh to her, Susan. And you don't get to do any firing of my staff. Thank you, Ellie. That will be all. Yes, ma'am. Well, I suppose I should recuse myself from dinner. I already took the liberty of instructing Cook to have your meal sent to the children's rooms. Oh, how thoughtful of you, Miss Drake. That is so very capable of you. Oh, Madame Susan. It would so late for you to miss out on dinner with your family. I will go and care for the little ones. It is my pleasure to do such a thing for you. No, oh, but I couldn't possibly. It is not a problem. I, I insist. Madame Drake, I am sure you will not mind having my meal taken to the children's wing instead of M Madame Balton's. It will be done. Simi, you're an angel. Thank you so much. All of these dramatics have made me quite famished. Surely dinner should be ready by now. <clears throat> dinner is served. There is a god. Come, my dear Sheldon, be my escort. My pleasure. That was quite an intense incident between the children. Does that happen often? The girl is entirely unbalanced, and the boy is a spiteful, spying bully. She never speaks, but then has these all-encompassing, uncontrolled fits of rage, usually towards her brother. There was a nasty incident when they were smaller involving a pet rabbit. Oh, but one doesn't like to speak of such things so close to one's meal. As for the boy, he has been in trouble multiple times, expelled from more schools than years he's been in existence, usually for petty things like cheating or theft. Though there was an instance last year that he was actually accused of blackmail. Blackmail? Yes. Something about a faculty member who had been inappropriate. And darling Donald there was raking him over the coals for it. Of course, Susan isn't at all stable either. None of her family are. And then Ronald, well... He's just a blowhard, cold fish, always leeching around Annabella, hoping she'll share the wealth with him when she inherits. Which, of course, happens officially tomorrow. What does? Annabella inheriting, of course. Her family were the only ones that still had any actual money. She's going to be a very wealthy young lady. Won't Ronald receive anything? He received an inheritance already, but not a large one. Let's just say that Donald comes by his criminal leanings quite honestly. <laughs> oh, and they don't live anywhere within their means. Susan desperately wants to be at the fore of society. Though, of course, she's terribly gauche. 
and the finest people can always sense that sort of desperation, don't you think? <laughs> ah, I think Miss Drake and her staff have quite outdone themselves with this spread. Look at that, just scrumptious. The table was indeed a sight to behold. A beautiful centerpiece set on a snowy white tablecloth and brilliantly gleaming silver plates and cutlery. In front of each seat was a beautifully crafted place card with flawless copper plate. I was seated between Lady Wolverston on my right, with Ronald and Susan across from me, Samuel to my left, and Lord Ashley next to Ronald across the table. Anderson and Tawny were next to Lady Wolverston, and Annabella was at the head of the table. An empty seat was immediately to her left, where the absent Simone Drotage would have been. Well, it's already been a rather eventful evening, but I hope now we can relax and enjoy our dinner. Thank you all so much for being with me this weekend. Here, here. Wouldn't have missed it for the world. Oh, darling, it is our pleasure. Indeed. Couldn't possibly miss the most beautiful girl's most important birthday, could I? Oh, so very nice. My dear, have you spoken to your solicitor? You're about to be a very wealthy young woman, after all. And you should have some sort of plan, particularly as you are what appears to be in a perpetually single state. But hopefully not forever. Right. Bella? Oh, uh, is there a change imminent there, Bella? One can only hope. And it is a big day tomorrow, so it could be time for another momentous moment. I would certainly consider. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves, Ash, dear. I think I have quite enough on my plate for tomorrow. What with trying to wrap my brain around becoming a very important person. Well, you've always been important to us, Annabella, dear. But never more so than now, as I'm about to become a veritable bank from which you can make withdrawals, dear cousin. <laughs> Uh, it's not like that, my dear. We are family, and I am next in line for the estate, since you have no progeny. Oh, now I understand. I would actually be of more use to you if I popped my clogs. Now it makes sense. Bella! <laughs> oh, everybody better watch out that there isn't poison in the soup. Anderson, didn't you say that cyanide tastes like bitter lemon or something? No, that was something different entirely. You know, there's a new poison. It's from the wings of the lunar moth, apparently highly lethal. Knock you dead in under a minute. No saving you. But it presents like a simple heart attack. Untraceable. The perfect murder. Oh... I'm terribly sorry. How frightfully clumsy of me. I've knocked my wine all over you, my dear. And broken my glass. Oh, dear. You stupid woman. How could you? These these trousers are, are ruined. Just ruined. Oh, Anderson, it was, it was an accident. Do calm down and tell us more about all your exciting poisons. Stop twittering at me, you pointless woman. I am so sorry. I, I didn't intend to prattle. I am going to have a smoke on the terrace. I'll come with you. Tony, Tony, old girl, you don't need to let him speak to you like that. 
You can stay. Tony, Sam's right. You have no reason to- Oh, Bella, you don't understand. You'll never understand. Beautiful, perfect Bella always had any man she wanted and many more she didn't want. I don't have your class or your beauty. I'm just loud and not too bright. I upset people and I never realized it. I'm too careless. Anderson has helped me be better. Or at least he's trying. Anderson is my everything. My everything. But, darling, that's... Leave me alone, Bella. Let me have him, please. I'm sorry. I'll be back in a moment. What a mixed-up lot this group was. So many underlying tensions and issues. I found it all quite fascinating. Annabella was at the centre of them all. A strong personality. A brutally honest one, too. She was beautiful, intelligent. But there was a strength there, too. I wondered. Yes, I wondered. Just then, a woman started screaming. Is that the blasted children again? Ronald, don't sound like that. What if something is wrong? Again, I'm going to check. Are you coming with me? Why don't you take Samuel or Ashley? They're handier than me in a pinch. Oh, Ronald. I can come with you, my dear. It's just typical childish high spirits again, I'm sure. Let's hope the high spirits don't run to attempting to bash someone's skull in with a glass weight this time. Oh, it is awful. Save us. Pa, there was a dreadful face against the window. A terrible white face, like a ghost. And then we saw her. And all the blood. So much blood. Children, stop. Let me explain. Bella, I am so sorry. Uh, th there was a scraping at the window. The children and I went to see, but, and we thought we saw a man on the ground floor. We went to investigate over by the orangerie, the window by the library. Simone was struggling to catch her breath and seemed on the verge of a nervous collapse. Donald seemed to be enjoying himself immensely. What an objectionable child he was. Anne, she was retreating into herself. Yes, hiding behind her own eyes. I had to step in. Uh, Miss Annabella, uh, please allow me. Mademoiselle Drotage, uh, please have a seat. Here is brandy for Mr. Drotage. Almost before I needed it. You truly are the pinnacle of professionalism, Miss Drake. Here, Mademoiselle Drotage, take a sip and catch your breath. We saw it as well. Don't you want to interview us? Mama, I need to sit down. Yes, darling. Donald, come and sit next to Mummy too. But I'm a witness. I'll speak to you after Mademoiselle gives me her report. Ask Miss Drake to get you something to drink or leave. I am so, so sorry to make a scene. I am... I am all right now. You mentioned you were in the library and that you saw something by the orangerie? Yes. A face pressed against the glass, washing us. But it didn't look human. It was a horrible ghost. No such thing. It was a costume. A mask, perhaps? Yes, I, I think. We went to investigate. I am so sorry, Madame Susan, for taking these children. 
It just didn't occur to me that it would be so... so awful. Quite so. We understand. Please do continue. We walked out to the orangery and I saw something shiny on the floor, so I bent down to pick it up. And that... That's when I saw... I saw her. Yes. Someone dropped a statue on her. What? Who? That marble bust of your great-grandfather, Bella. Someone hit her with it. And she's... I'm so sorry. It was your maid, Lady Wolverstone. That young girl, Ellie. She is dead. <laughs> 